In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together. We were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production. The story of Rob Ford. As I've told everyone who's asked me why we made this podcast since it debuted, is the most interesting thing ever to happen to Toronto. It is one of the only times this city was on the cutting edge of anything, good or bad. The story of Rob Ford has everything you want in a good narrative. Except, as you'll hear in this episode, a happy ending. Here is the final episode of The Gravy Train. Legacy. My name is uh, Dr. Zane Cohen, and I am a senior member of the surgical team at Mount Sinai Hospital. I am continuing to oversee the clinical care team for Mayor Rob Ford. As a brief review, Mayor Ford was admitted to Mount Sinai Hospital last Thursday, September the 11th. Myself, together with a multidisciplinary team of specialists, then undertook a thorough medical assessment. The diagnosis is a malignant liposarcoma. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Gravy Train. Rob Ford had gone to his doctors, complaining of severe abdominal pain. His doctor sent him to the hospital, and shortly after that, he was diagnosed with a rare form of cancer that grows in fat tissue. I got a call saying that Rob was in the hospital, and it wasn't good. Michael Ford, Rob's nephew, and the rest of the Ford family were caught completely by surprise. I think at that moment, he had to acknowledge that he had to find him a lifetime in front of him. At almost the same time that Rob was learning how serious his illness was, he was facing a difficult decision and a deadline that meant he had almost no time to make it. They made this incredibly last minute, like down to the wire, down to the last 30 minutes of the deadline for nomination to switch places. Jennifer Pagliero was now covering City Hall for the Toronto Star. It was September 12th, 2014, the last day to enter the race for mayor of Toronto. The cutoff for new entries was 2 p.m. Rob had previously insisted that he would run for re-election through his illness. But as the hours counted down, rumors were flying around City Hall that the Ford brothers would swap places, that Rob would drop out and run for his old city council seat, and Doug Ford would take his place in the race for mayor. 
And we had heard that this was happening, that they were going to have to sign the forms, like literally like in his hospital bed. And someone had to actually drop off the forms at the elections office, which is next to my office at City Hall in the press gallery. And so all of the cameras had been in the office all day, like waiting to see what would happen. And finally, one of his campaign staffers arrived through a back door. Everyone sort of crowded around him and he was, you know, filing the papers with the uh, staff in the elections office. And everyone was like, hey, like, what's happening? Like, tell us what's happening. And he just was silent. He wouldn't speak. And so I remember, like, crawling between, like, the legs and the crowd of journalists there and popping up next to the desk and just leaning over to see that they had signed, you know, Doug replacing Rob in the mayor's race and Rob replacing Doug in the counselor's race. Um, But there's no cell reception in this tiny little elections office at City Hall. So I had to crawl back out uh, from where I had arrived in front of the desk and like run out into a hallway where I could say like it's happening. The great switch, uh, 2014. As soon as the switch became official, Doug called a press conference to explain the decision. He asked me to make sure that I tell people just how much he really cares. That this is more than a job for Rob. It's his life's work and his passion to fight for this city and for each and every one of you. He told me that he needed me to take the torch while he focuses on getting better. He told me that he couldn't bear the thought of City Hall returning to the old days at the expense of the good, honest, everyday people. While I want to ease his mind and do everything I can to help him feel better, I told him that no one, no one here could ever replace him. In 2014, Doug and Rob weren't the only Fords on a ballot. Rob's nephew, Michael, who was just 20 years old, had grown up idolizing his uncle's political success. And he'd originally registered to run for city council in Rob's old riding. But when Rob dropped out of the Merrill campaign, Michael dropped his city council bid and ran instead for a school board trustee. And he was elected in a landslide in Etobicoke. Earlier that year, Michael, who you met last episode, and you may recall had a tough childhood, had changed his last name from Sturpe to Ford. That didn't hurt his chances either. Uh, and, and, and it's in, you know, kind of the public domain that uh, he, uh, my father, uh, didn't live the life I would aspire to be. Um, and uh, or to kind of carry on in my own life and, and for a number of reasons. Um, when uh, I could, I changed my name uh, when I was 18 years old. So, you know, my, my name was always Ford. Um, it was just dropping uh, a name that I made a personal decision to uh, to do. Right. Yeah. And I guess it aligned with your political aspirations, right? Or was that not part of it at all? 
Well, at, at that moment in time, it wasn't. Of course, like I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and say, well, you know, my name didn't help me. And, and, and that's not, that's absolutely not the case. Of course it did. Uh, because when I spoke to many of people, it wasn't the name itself, but it what, it's what came with the name. And people uh, knew that I, um, that, that, that stood for serving the public and really uh, working as hard as I can uh, to help people. In the final weeks of the campaign, after the switch had been made with Doug, Rob was rarely seen. He was undergoing treatment. But in Etobicoke, that didn't matter. Rob didn't need to show up. The name was enough. And he was elected back to his old seat on city council. The name wasn't quite enough, though, in the mayoral race. Doug had only been in it for a little over a month, and while the Ford brand was strong, Doug was not Rob. Almost everybody agreed on that. And he lost the race to John Tory, who is still Toronto's mayor today. We, we, did not, we did not have deep pockets, and we only had six weeks to make up so much ground. But together, we have changed the political landscape in Toronto. It is a city made up of vibrant communities from every corner of this globe, all of whom share the same belief that government should be for the people. That we lacked in money and time, we made up for with dedication, determination. Rob didn't even campaign, and he won his seat. Doug fought hard and lost. And look, when you talk to people who were on the inside of Toronto politics in 2014, staffers and journalists and politicians from both sides, it doesn't matter. A lot of them say that if it weren't for the cancer, Rob would have won re-election as mayor and it might not have been that close. In spite of the crack videos, in spite of the criminal investigation, the lies, the embarrassing scandals, the fact that his own counsel had taken away some of the powers that he would have been running to get back, he still would have won, they'll tell you. Jennifer Pagliaro, from The Star, is one of those people. Richard Bloom was a managing editor at City News at the time. He feels the same way. I think there is a real chance that Rob Ford could have been re-elected as mayor of Toronto. All scandals aside, I think he could have slid right back into office. Nothing about the crack scandal and the homophobic and racist comments, the allegations of prostitutes and drinking and, you know, associating with drug dealers would have stopped him from losing that race. You know, it was, it was really the cancer was the only thing that got in the way. Folks, if you know anything about the Ford family... We never, ever, ever give up. That was Rob on election night after his council win, vowing a mayoral comeback. If Rob hadn't been sick during that race, some people would have done anything to beat him. Rob would have done anything, would have said anything to beat them. He loved campaigning more than he ever loved governing. And he was looking forward to making his case to Toronto that the crack stuff didn't matter as much as saving them money did. That would have been his argument. And there's no question that it would have split the city down the middle. And everyone would have voted on it. And we would have had a referendum. Based on the insanity of the past four years. Factoring in everything. But Toronto never got that referendum. And the election passed. 
and Rob kept fighting. He returned to his council seat after a round of chemotherapy. And he was in bad shape. He looked gaunt. He looked weak. He didn't look like Rob Ford. Not the Rob Ford that had been such a huge presence looming over an entire city for years. And for some people, even people who utterly disagreed with his politics. It was really hard to see. Here's his old colleague on council, Joe Mahavik. At council, he would come in, he would be wearing track pants, he would be wearing some kind of device on his side that I think regulated some kind of a medicine that he was taking. Um, it was during, it was a time when he, I guess he was healthy enough that he could make it in. And he was really committed to being there for his residents uh, and to showing a strong uh, face. While Rob battled cancer, he didn't do much media. And the months after the election passed, and 2015 began. Over this time, though, he did have a few meaningful conversations, the kind he hadn't really had with anyone in the press who wasn't a Ford fan since the scandals began. The person he talked to most often was Cynthia Mulligan of City News. Cynthia had bravely and publicly dealt with breast cancer, and she knew what a struggle some days must have been for Rob. How are you, counselor? Bad. Egg draining right now. Do you? Yeah, I had some uh, fluid buildup. So they brought that hopper. They put another tube and go across, drain it through my legs to my bag. So. Mm-hmm. You had yeah. a lot of pain still. Yeah. When they operate, they didn't put uh, they didn't put me under on this one. So they froze the area. Mm-hmm. <laughs> still, as you know, it's painful. Just got to take it one day at a time. It's a long haul back. Are you feeling confident about yeah. all the cancer being removed yeah, in the surgery? Absolutely. absolutely. You know, just, you have to think that way. You can't think any other way. You have to think positive. You got to, you know, move forward. And that's what I'm doing. One year ago, Cynthia was at the front of scrums, demanding answers from Ford about his crack use, about his meetings with gang members. Now she was empathizing with him about his illness, about trips to the hospital and surgeries. This was happening a lot. Joe Mahavik, for instance, had fought Rob on every issue as hard as anyone on city council. I certainly felt during that period, it's hard to be angry with a guy who's struggling really hard with cancer. And uh, I wished him the best uh, when I spoke to him at council. Others did as well when we circled around him once, that uh, he was in our thoughts and our prayers, and we wanted him to heal so that he could come back in the political arena and give us a good fight. Despite the surgeries, despite the medicine, Rob was getting progressively worse. And in one of the lowest days of his struggles, Cynthia sat down for a long interview with him. You can look at the tape now. Rob is sitting in a lazy boy. He's lost most of his hair. His face is red. There are broken blood vessels across his cheeks and his nose. Sometimes his voice breaks. Sometimes he fights off tears. Sometimes it seems like Cynthia might be doing the same. It's not easy viewing. It's World Cancer Day. It seems very relevant to talk to you and 
find out how you're doing right now in this whole process. Well, thanks for asking, Cynthia. It's very kind when people come up and ask uh, how I'm doing. Um, I'm doing the best I can in the situation. We watched your interview with him. It was, it was really raw. What was that like? It was... It was sad. It was raw. And his barriers were down. And it's probably the, the first time I've ever seen him with his barriers down. Got a young family. You just gotta, you know, keep assuring them that uh, daddy's going to the hospital every day to get better. And that's it. Just, uh, but I'm, you know, not gonna mislead anyone to struggle. It's uh, a real struggle. And people tell you, well, you know, don't go to work, go home and relax. No, because when you go home and relax and no one's there. All you do is start thinking. Mm-hmm. I'd rather come here, you know, do my job, go out and see people, just keep uh, doing the best I can. Did you ever think you'd be sitting here as one of the people talking about cancer, experiencing it? No, it's. I was shocked. Um, I didn't really know cancer ran in our family. On my mom's side, yes. Mm-hmm. But not on my dad's side. Um, but then my dad died of cancer, colon cancer, and within two months he passed away. That and must that, be scary for you when you think about that. That really shut me up. That, uh, it's, I don't think I'll ever get over it. So now that you're going through this, mm-hmm. after watching your father pass away from mm-hmm. this disease, have you learned anything? I mean, I think anybody who's diagnosed with cancer, they after many people say, oh, I learned so much, is there a lesson that you've learned here that you've been able to comprehend? Have you changed at all? Just be grateful. Be grateful for every day. No, how, no matter how bad your days are, um, nothing's as bad as going through this every day. Um, it, it takes over your life. It's Your whole life revolves around cancer and the treatment. And, it's you can't do what you want to do anymore. Cancer tells you what you're going to do every day. Then after the camera stopped rolling, we had a really good conversation just heart to heart about the emotions that that you would go through. And I'm, I'm not going to get into a lot of detail because I consider that still a, a confidential conversation. Um, but I will say that I really felt for him. And he was worried about his kids, as any father would be. He was worried about leaving his kids. And he was scared. And it was really sad. On March 22nd, 2016, Rob Ford died at the age of 46. He had been in palliative care at that point for quite some time. Most people had known for months that the end was coming. But it was still a very strange thing to watch a city wrestle with the tragedy of an early death, the legacy of a very flawed man and a deeply beloved figure to a huge chunk of the city. This wasn't the ending 
to the story that anyone wanted, even people who hated Rob, would have wanted to see him voted into obscurity. His death meant something to this city. And in the days after his passing, everyone tried very publicly to grapple with what exactly that was. Everyone, of course, except the Ford family, who had to grapple publicly with a hugely private personal loss. That meant that they were all on TV, grieving in real time. Rob's young daughter, Stephanie, spoke publicly at his funeral, and her remarks were carried live. My dad was a great mayor. He helped a lot of people. He was also an amazing dad. He was so happy whenever he was with us. And he was so nice to us, but also strict sometimes, like a dad should be. (laughs) He would buy us the best toys and take us to amazing places, but what matters was that we were happy together. I remember at the hospital, he smiled at me and he said, Stephanie, I might not be here for too much longer. He said, I want you to remember that I'll always love you. I need, I need you and your brother to be strong for your mom. I know my dad is in a better place now, and he's the mayor of heaven now. A lot of Toronto mourned along with the Fords. Rob's casket lay in repose in the center of City Hall for two days. Thousands and thousands of people lined up to pay respects. Thousands more lined the streets and followed Rob through those streets for blocks, from City Hall to the church for his public funeral. Then the Fords held a celebration of Rob's life at the Congress Center back in Etobicoke, and thousands more jammed the building. There were undoubtedly lots of Torontonians who were privately glad that the city's very public ordeal was over. But this really wasn't the time for them. And all you had to do was walk down the street with a camera, and you would hear from Ford Nation. Whatever he said, he was true to his words. And he was a good man. He's like a father figure, and he did so much for Torontoans. We're going to miss him forever. I loved him a lot, and I cried all day the day he died. Doug spoke about that support at Rob's funeral. Rob was the champion of the teen. He was the, the champion of the immigrant, the new Canadian, the union worker, the frontline worker, and champion of the little guy. I always said there was a big guy that was the champion of the little guy. And that was so suitable for Rob. And I can't, can't tell you how, how grateful our family is and will be forever grateful and indebted to this city for the love and the outpouring of support. My brother Randy said when we're walking down the street, we haven't seen this much love and support since the Blue Jays won the World Series or the Leafs won the Stanley Cup. And again, to the people of Toronto and right across this country, 
and we, we ended up having emails right across the world. We thank you from the bottom of our heart. We love each and every one of you. And again, we'll always serve, the Ford family will always serve the City of Toronto, the province of Ontario, and this great country of Canada. Thank you very, very much. God bless each and every one of you. And Rob, I'm going to miss you like cra crazy. I love you more than anything in the world. And don't worry, Ford Nation will continue. We'll continue respecting the taxpayers. Thank you. It's worth noting that the last statement in a tearful eulogy for his brother was Doug Ford vowing to respect the taxpayer. This is the final chapter of Rob Ford's story. But it's only the beginning of a bigger one. Before we told that, though, we tried to take a look at the real person at the very center of this and try to figure out who Rob Ford was. Not the brand, not the myth, not even the politician, but who Rob was as a person and what he'd left behind to those who spent the most time around him. But you know what to so many of those people? What made Rob, Rob? Was politics. Was his legacy as a politician in Toronto. Was respecting the taxpayer. He wanted desperately to be known as someone who helped people. We asked people close to Rob who he was when he wasn't campaigning, when he wasn't governing. And they talked to us about why he campaigned and why he governed. We asked them who he was and they talked about him three years after his death, like he was still running for office. Here's his nephew, Michael. As a person, I think the number one trait I would give him was caring. He would give the shirt off his back to someone to help him. You know, he was big about family, his kids. That was very big to him. But, you know, I have to admit, when, when you, you can't... You can't describe Rob without acknowledging his work in the community, which is politics. But it wasn't not to the word politics. He genuinely cared. And that was always his priority was his community. It was. Um, he was up until he couldn't anymore. He was calling constituents back. But when I say physically couldn't, I'm, I'm talking the last week of his life. After Rob's death, Michael, who was then a school trustee, ran to fill Rob's vacated city council seat. Guess what? He won. So in 2016, I remember door knocking, and people said, if you are one-tenth of your uncle, you have our full support. Michael also won re-election in 2018. He is currently the city councillor for Toronto's Ward 1. That's part of Rob's legacy. In four more years, you're, you're going to see another example 
of the Ford family never, ever, ever giving up. Doug Ford never stopped running. He may have lost his 2014 bid for mayor, but four years later, after a tight leadership vote, Doug Ford became the leader of Ontario's Progressive Conservative Party. And a couple months after that, when Ontario voters rejected the Liberals in favor of a campaign of cutting waste, respecting the taxpayer, and governing, as his slogan said, for the people. He was elected Premier of Ontario on June 7th, 2018. That is also part of Rob's legacy. Ontario and my friends, the party with the taxpayers' money is over. It's done. And I know that my brother Rob is looking down from heaven. getting chills talking about him right now. I know Rob, he is celebrating with us tonight. We owe so much to Rob's legacy. (laughs) Rob's wife, Renata, also tried her hand at politics. In the 2019 federal election, Renata Ford ran for parliament in the riding of Etobicoke, representing a fringe right-wing party called the People's Party of Canada. As a proud Canadian and a mother of two young children, I have deep concerns about the future holds for Etobicoke North and for Canada. With the federal government mired in scandals and with ever-escalating budget deficits, which translates into more and more taxes, wasteful spending, and a government that absolutely has no respect for the taxpayers, I felt it was time for me to step up and run for public office. Renata Ford lost, but she vowed to return. And this is the local legacy of Rob's politics. A Ford on the council, a Ford running the country's largest province, and a Ford trying to run federally. But that's not the whole legacy. That's not where this story ends, and you know where this is going. Recognize this slogan? Our plan takes steps to derail the gravy train for special interests by ending Obamacare's twisted incentive. Here's Joe Mahavik again, speaking about the real legacy the Ford years have left behind. So uh, our conversation, interestingly enough, focused on the crack, the personal addictions, the human side of Rob. And, you know, that's, of course, an important chapter. But... um, what Rob Ford is really more important for is his political legacy. He was the one of the first of the right-wing populist, screw-the-government uh, types that have emerged in this decade. He was one of the first, and it worked. So I wonder, sometimes I do wonder these days, whether, whether certainly Doug Ford took lessons from that time, 
in his bid provincially, that being brash and being a pest works. And I think that's the lesson that Trump learned. And maybe Boris Johnson learned too. I don't know. Uh, But there seems to be this movement out there that is capturing a deep sense of alienation that people are experiencing. Look, this podcast was never supposed to be about Donald Trump. But it eventually became clear that it kind of was. Trump and Ford, as people, don't actually have a lot in common. We need to get that clear. As far as we know, they met once when Trump came to Toronto to open Trump Tower. And that was well before Donald was getting into politics. Whatever you think of Rob politically, he's not Donald Trump. He was shy. He loved to help people, or at least he loved to try. He wanted badly to be an ordinary guy. He giggled and played with children, and sometimes he seemed like a big kid himself. He was bullied. He wasn't the bully. Here's Cynthia Mulligan. It's the little moments when he would briefly see his guard down, because he was very good at at the bravado and putting on this, this front. Everyone you talk to about Rob Ford has at least one deeply human moment that they remember. That's what separates Rob from Donald. Cynthia remembers one of her favorite moments from a time when Rob was selling the bobbleheads. You remember the ones of him. They were called Robbie Bobbies. People lined up for blocks to get one. But I remember I was, I was shooting one with my camera and he was signing it and he put it down, but the head, the head broke and he sort of looked at me and he goes, aw, it broke. And it was like, there was something so little boyish. And that was part of what I think endeared him to so many people. And, and that is something that I've never seen in any other politician ever is that there was something about him that that people loved. And listen, a lot of people didn't love him, but there was a vulnerability there that people could, I think, sense. And there was a, a, a sense that he was like them, that he wasn't the perfect, polished politician. He was real. He was vulnerable. He would have the same struggles as they would. And he really reached people that way, the ones who loved him. It would be nice. If that was Rob Ford's legacy. But that's not the one he gets. That sweet, sad kid. Nope. Part of that, obviously, is Rob's fault. But part of the reason is in his own family. Rob's brother, Doug, is a big fan of Donald Trump. So you've actually met Donald Trump. Yes. With, with your brother Rob. With Rob, when he opened the Trump Tower in Toronto. Are you still a supporter of Donald Trump? Absolutely. (laughs) I wouldn't waver. Like uh, the GOP's wavering, I wouldn't waver. In the days following Trump's 2016 election, Doug himself was more than happy to connect the dots between Trump and his late brother. You look at Donald Trump, and I thought, look at Rob Ford. He blazed the trail about down with the elites. During the race for a premier, In 2018, Doug Ford backed off his praise 
for Donald Trump. A lot of Canadian conservative politicians have done that. He's not very popular. But Doug was a supporter of Trump from the beginning of Trump's campaign for president. And Cynthia Mulligan has covered Rob Ford at City Hall. She now covers Doug Ford in the provincial legislature. And she covers federal elections in Canada, too. And she knows what she's seeing. What I would say is he's the precursor to Donald Trump. He was, he was Trump before Trump was Trump. This retail politician, this populist politician, somebody who knew he had this uncanny ability to tap into people with a line or a slogan. And, and he appealed to people who were worried about their money. He appealed to people who maybe didn't feel that they had gotten far enough in life. When you would go to his rallies, there were people there who felt that he was the only politician who's ever listened to them and ever related to them. I think politicians, most politicians, would envy the type of adoration Rob Ford had. And I think Donald Trump took a page out of Rob Ford. The two men themselves are very different. This part of the story, though, is not about the men. It's about the playbook. And Rob's victory in 2010, and the way he weathered every single scandal that came his way, the way he demonized the media and denied what everyone could easily see was true, the way he replaced one story with another until the last one always lost its impact, and the way he claimed to do it all in the name of the people or the taxpayer, like he was saving them from the evil government. That style worked really well. The voters were ready to hear it. And it hasn't stopped working yet. Today's ceremony, however, has very special meaning. Because today, we are not merely transferring power from one administration to another or from one party to another. But we are transferring power from Washington, D.C., and giving it back to you, the people. This is Joe Mahevic again, trying to explain something that he's been grappling with for a decade now. I do think it's a period when, in the long course of human history, we're going to look back on and say, wow, that was a destructive period for us all. What were people thinking? Maybe we needed at this point in our historical life, having built a a social welfare system where we take care of each other, that we needed to recheck it and say, okay, is this really what we want? Or are we just competitive individualists, leave us alone government? Uh, I hope that that's the case. Uh, but we have, we have a society to build and a society to weave together in a good, wholesome way where we have good families, good communities, good support structures for those who need supports. Rob and Doug Ford don't represent those values. They represent people who've been hurt by the system and want to go in a direction that is individualistic and competitive. That's not the society that I feel I want to build or be part of building. And I think history will have a a harsh uh, judgment on them in the long course for them as politicians. 
Toronto is my city. And I love it. But trust me when I say that we are not usually first to a trend. This time, though, somehow we were. And honestly, when you look at this whole thing from start to finish, so much of it seems like an accident. Not the political climate that gave rise to the Fords and Trump and so many others. As Joe says, that's a force much bigger than us. It's certainly bigger than Toronto. But that it coalesced in 2010 around Rob Ford, around this person in particular, who could be so nasty and so sweet, who loved to help people, and yet said and did things that hurt so many of them, who was partly just because he was fat and blustering and kind of funny, laughed off by the experienced politicians. And a guy who was perhaps because he was such a perfect character for ridicule, laughed at by the world, while he was publicly spiraling into the worst kind of addiction, that all this happened to Rob Ford and in Toronto. Something so weird and so terrible and so unique in a city that's best known for aggressively plight blandness. It just still, years later, feels like something went wrong somewhere that this should never have happened. And if it hadn't, maybe the city and Rob Ford would have been better off. I've often thought he was a good city councillor. He was a good protagonist. He was a good... Whether you liked his policies or not, and I'm not not giving you judgment on his policies, but in terms of, of his work and trying to help constituents, he was a good politician. I've often wondered if maybe his tragedy was becoming mayor. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings, the host and the writer of The Gravy Train. Annalisa Nielsen and Stephanie Phillips are the producers who somehow wrestled this gigantic thing to the ground. Ryan Clark was also a producer, as well as mixing and mastering every episode. Claire Brassard and Amal Delich provided editorial guidance. Lucas Ionetta and Matthew Morrow were our editorial assistants. There are dozens of other people who helped make this thing possible in one way or another. Dan Meisner of Pacific Content helped us with audience development. Journalists and politicians and regular Torontonians offered us their time and answered uncomfortable questions about an uncomfortable period in the city's history. This project has been in the works for more than a year, and we'd like to thank everyone at Rogers Media, especially our fearless leader, Julie Adam, for giving us the time and the space and the help to make something that we'd never made before. And of course, we'd like to thank you for rating, for reviewing, and for letting us spend time telling you our story. You can find us, as always, at FrequencyPodcastNetwork.com. We are also at FrequencyPods on Twitter, on Facebook, and on Instagram. We'll get working on a new story for you right away.
In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together. We were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now.